To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. It's very rare to hear the chief economist of the Bank of England being so frank about Brexit. I think that what's more problematic for policy in the UK is following these basics and so that people make decisions on the basis of uh, the full picture. Stephen, I would like to have a small rant. Oh, just a small one. That's a relief. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. It's Wednesday, so it's PMQ's day. It's also the last day before the House rises for a very short coronation recess. MPs are back next Tuesday. Between now and then, though, the small matter of the local elections. Ewan, have you got your swingometer ready? I am very excited. Is that what it's called? (laughs) Have I gotten that right? You know the thing where it tells you... Anyway, go on. Yes. yes. Yeah, but last time I tried to do things graphical in the the studio, Lizzie laid into me for waving my hands around. Because we're on the radio, Ewan. So no swingometer, but the swingometer will definitely be enforced tomorrow, or or Friday rather, when we get the results of the 8,000 council seats. Not all of England, but much of England will be voting in local elections tomorrow. It's going to be a key test ahead of the general election. Not just the red wall, the blue wall. Almost all of England will be voting. And it will be really interesting to see just how the parties do. They'll be protesting some of their messages uh, ahead of the general election. We will not find out uh, what's happening in Scotland uh, or in Wales, but it will be a very useful test. And it's interesting to look at the comparable. 2019 was a bad election for both Labour and the Conservatives, so it makes uh, unpicking the results from this year uh, particularly uh, tricky. And of course, Northern Ireland's local elections are in two weeks from tomorrow as well, so that's something else to look forward to. Um, But Lizzie, something that absolutely no voters will be thinking about tomorrow, but it's causing a lot of excitement in Westminster, uh, Sue Gray. Back in the headlines. Sue Gray, yes. So the government has paused the internal inquiry into her departure from Whitehall. Of course, it was widely expected to have concluded that she'd broken the civil service code. We've got a written statement from the Cabinet Office Minister, Oliver Dowden. He says she hasn't engaged with the probe, so it's going to be suspended while the government considers its next steps. One question is why the report has been delayed. Is it because it's too close to the elections, as you're talking about? Is it because it sets a precedent for investigating a senior civil servant after they've left office. Another question, how much role did Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary, have in influencing the delay? All of these questions swirling around the UK newspapers today. But it brings us to the big question, which is, is the investigation politically motivated? You've heard from the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, accusing the Prime Minister of pursuing a vendetta against Sue Gray. And you have to wonder how long Starmer's going to go without a chief of staff when you've got an election on the horizon? Well, a lot of the questions and not very many answers for the moment anyway, it seems. Uh, we are waiting uh, for the start of the Labour leaders questioning of the Prime Minister, though, as well. But you and you talked about, the, you know, le- the leaders perhaps road testing some of their election messages. They'll be keenly aware that polls are opening uh, in not, not that long away. Yeah, I think the fascinating thing is to, is to look at the uh, the comparable four years ago. You remember uh, the situation, if you can cast your mind back to uh, the uh, summer, late spring of 2019. Theresa May was on her last legs as Prime Minister. Brexit 
was constantly in the news. It wasn't a very exciting time in British politics. And Jeremy Corbyn, while his honeymoon was well and truly over, he had that election in 2017 where he nearly became prime minister. But by 2019, uh, he was not popular in the opinion polls. So both the Tories and Labour both had a bad election. The Tories lost a lot of seats, but Labour also lost seats, which for a party in a midterm election, nine years away from uh, the last time they Mm. were in government, was a very bad result for Labour as well. The Lib Dems, of course did very well, uh, given that the other two parties were doing so badly. So it's a tough comparable for the Dems. Here's uh, Keir Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments about the coronation across the House? We're all looking forward to the celebrations this weekend. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister know how many mortgage payers are paying higher rates since the Tory party crashed the economy last autumn? Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, our, our, record, our record on home ownership is crystal clear. Because of our tax cuts, 90% of first-time buyers now don't pay any stamp duty at all, Mr. Speaker. And, lo- and last year, we saw the largest number of people buying their first home in 20 years, Mr. Speaker. That's the Conservative government delivering on people's aspirations to own their own home. Mr Speaker, the question was how many people are paying more on their mortgages each month. And the answer that the Prime Minister avoided giving is 850,000. Nearly a million people paying more on their mortgage each month because his party used their money as a casino chip. That's why George Osborne called them economic vandals who created a self-inflicted financial crisis. Not not for the Prime Minister and his non-dom thing, not for the super wealthy they gave tax cuts to, but for mortgage holders all across the country. So, does the Prime Minister know how many more people will be joining them on higher mortgage rates by the end of this year? Uh, Mr. Mr. Mr Speaker, thanks to the actions we're taking, in fact, the Bank of England is showing that public expectations of inflation have now eased to a 15-month low, Mr Speaker. Consumer confidence is at the highest level that it's been at since Russia invaded Ukraine. And because of our stewardship of the public finances, we can see a clear way to reduce debt and bring interest rates down. But, Mr Speaker, he keeps in this habit of quoting the former Labour shadow chancellors. We know that our plans will deliver lower inflation and lower interest rates. But we know, we know that his plans, his plans just mean more debt, Mr. Speaker, and I quote, and I quote, year after year after year. Those aren't my words. That's the assessment of the former Labour Shadow Chancellor. Mr. Speaker, the, the question was, how many more people this year are going to be paying more on their mortgages? And the answer that he avoided giving again, he knows these answers. He's, he's got the stats there in front of him. 930,000 people. So by the end of this year, I know they don't want to talk about it, that's why he won't answer the questions. By the end of this year, nearly 2 million homeowners, counting the cost of the Tories' economic vandalism with every mortgage payment they make. And it's not just those who already own their home that are counting the cost of Tory recklessness. The average deposit for a first-time buyer is going up to £9,000. Does he even know how long it would take an average saver to put that sort of money aside? Mr Speaker, that's that's why... Mr Speaker, 
That's why we've introduced a 95% mortgage guarantee scheme, Mr Speaker. It's why we're helping people in social housing own their own home through our first homes and our shared home ownership schemes. But, Mr Speaker, I said, I said these things are working because I said last year we had a record number of first-time buyers, the highest number in 20 years. It was, Mr Speaker, twice the number of first-time buyers than Labour ever managed, Mr Speaker. So whilst Labour failed homeowners, the Conservatives are delivering for them. Mr Speaker, every week, whatever the topic, he stands there and pretends everything is fine across the country. And every week he does so, he reinforces just how out of touch he is. £9,000, ha ha ha, £9,000 would take four years. They think it's funny that four years years for the average saver to save £9,000. Or or, or to put it a different way, in terms the Prime Minister will understand, roughly the annual bill to heat his swimming pool. (laughs) But for most people, for most people, four more years of scrimping is a hammer blow to their ambitions. And now he's kicking them when they're down, because his decision to scrap housing targets is killing the dream of home ownership for a generation. Why doesn't he admit he got it wrong and reverse it? Mr Speaker, I promised to put local people in control of new housing. And I'm proud that that's what I delivered within six weeks of becoming Prime Minister. Now, he wants to impose top-down housing targets. He wants to concrete over the green belt and ride roughshod over local communities. Now, previously, Mr Speaker, he did say, he's on record in saying, local people, local communities should have more power, more control. Now he's U-turned. Just another in a long list of broken promises. Mr Speaker, the only power he's given to local communities is not to build houses. And we know why he won't change course. He admitted it last month. His councillors simply don't want to build the houses local people need, so he's given them a way out. Picture the scene as he explains this to a family. Mum and Dad paying four grand extra on the mortgage because the Tories tanked the economy. Their eldest paying hundreds more in rent. Their youngest still stuck in the spare room because they need an extra £9,000 for a deposit. Then, then along comes the Prime Minister and merrily tells them, sorry for crashing the economy, we don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Sorry I can't help you with the house building, but my councillors don't like it. Oh, and before I go, here's a massive council tax increase for your troubles. Why doesn't he stop the excuses, stop blaming everyone else, and just build some houses instead? Mr Speaker, our memories aren't aren't that short. We all know what happened last time when they were in power. There was no money left for the country. Let's talk about the record. Let's talk about the Labour record on house building, Mr Speaker. In London, the former Conservative Mayor built 60,000 affordable homes in his first five years in office. How many did the current Labour Labour Mayor manage? Half of that, Mr Speaker. In in Wales, we need 12,000 new homes a year. How many have Labour built in the last year? Half of that, Mr Speaker. As ever, Labour talk and the Conservatives deliver. Mr Speaker, 
debt doubled since 2010, yeah. growth down, yeah. tax yeah. up, yeah. the economy crashed. Mr Speaker, they're going to need a bigger note. Exactly. <laughs> and it's right. But week after week, we debate the issues facing in this place. But, but looking beyond the elections tomorrow, we also have a hugely significant weekend coming up with the King's coronation. For most, this will be the first time they have seen a monarch crown. And I hope, and I know across the House, people will hope that people across the country enjoy the ceremony, the street parties, and of course the extra day off. 300 million will tune in. The world will see our country at its best, celebrating the beginning of a new chapter in our history. But it will also be a reminder of the loss of our late Queen, Elizabeth II, and a chance again to remember all that she gave to our country through her dedicated service. So will the Prime Minister join me in honouring our late Queen and wishing the new King a long and happy reign? Mr Speaker, as as I I said at the outset, we are all looking very much forward to the coronation. It will be a very special moment in the history uh, of our country, and I know that we will join with the country in celebrating it. But before we get to the coronation weekend, Mr Speaker, we have an important day tomorrow, and the choice before the country is clear. When they go to that ballot box, they can see a party that stands for higher council tax, higher crime, and a litany of broken promises, Mr Speaker. Meanwhile, we're getting on with delivering what we say with lower council tax, lower crime, and fewer potholes. The choice is clear. Vote Conservative, Mr Speaker. Okay, so that was the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer. If you missed the handbrake turn, (laughs) screeching towards the end of those Prime Minister's questions, exchange is largely dominated by issues of housing and cost of living, abruptly turning into um, some very, I suppose... uh, Impressions of statesmen? Well, yes, exactly. (laughs) But I mean, very, you know plenty of dignity being brought about and talking about the, the King's coronation and then Rishi Sunak bringing it crashing back to the local elections yeah. uh, tomorrow. It was a bit odd, wasn't it? It was It was very odd, wasn't it? You could really hear that screeching. Keir Starmer is, is often very keen, isn't he, to not just to be, appear statesmanlike, but also to draw a contrast with his predecessor. Jeremy Corbyn would never have uh, w- wished the King you know, well in his coronation. Well, That's that, the point. Yeah, he, exa- that was his thinly veiled message to the voter, I am not Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I noticed that, that Sunak was a little bit wrong-footed by it as well, and he just sort of trotted out his uh, his election lines as well. But yeah, but the Starmer very keen to uh, wave the flag, as he literally did many times in press conferences after he took over. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was a bit awkward, wasn't it? An awkward corner. I have to say, aren't we prescient on the UK Politics podcast? We did a whole episode yeah. on housing yesterday, and lo and behold, it is the subject of Prime Minister's questions today. The and the two, economy. Yeah, the two, the two leaders really drawing the battle lines you've got Sunak backing the NIMBYs not in my backyard people the older voter the homeowner who tends to vote more and Starmer backing the young uh did I say that the right way around no the NIMBYs don't want you to build on the green belt and the yes, young correct. are the homeowners <laughs> yeah. right 
Uh, I, well, I mean, uh, older homeowners are also available for people with mortgage holders. But look, I mean, bringing up a point that we've talked about uh, and we talk about very regularly on, on Bloomberg about, you know, the, the rising mortgage costs and people coming off fixed rate mortgages and how they're all being impacted by spending more. Um, Keir Starmer attempting to land that uh, at the Tories' front door. Did you notice Jeremy Hunt was, I know that this is radio, but let me do it. Oh, sorry, Ewan. Please. Total hypocrite. Paint a picture. Jeremy Hunt was rolling his eyes. He looked really troubled because to lay the blame for the inflation crisis at the Tories' door, you know, the whole thing. I mean, yes, Liz Truss's premiership made it worse, uh, but this is a global inflation crisis. I mean, mean, look, there's also the point that mortgage rates went through the roof around the time of the mini-budget, but the... Obviously, the Bank of England has also continuously been raising rates at the same time. So whereas we had an enormous jump around the time there, the fact is that rates would have been moving higher anyway mm. because the base rate was going up too. So there is th- this this line that Keir Starmer has used again and again about you know the cost of the the chaos around the mini budget. You know, there's only that only holds for a certain length of time because eventually, I mean, and this is what we've heard as well from mortgage brokers we spoke to. It's a quite question of all of the increase in rates happened at once, whereas otherwise they would have happened over a longer period. I thought what was what was particularly interesting was the way that Starmer tried to portray his housing line, the, the line he takes on housing and house building as something which affects everybody. Because you remember the the, pe- the people who have houses and don't want houses built in their backyards generally are seen to outnumber the young and and the people who want to buy houses. So uh, on on the face of it, uh, Labour's position is not the most popular one. But Starmer was keen to portray, uh, talk about people's children having to pay very high (laughs) rents and people's children not being able to afford deposits. So he was that way trying to bring in older generations to to Labour's position on this. Yeah, clearly something something they're hearing on the doorsteps as well. Uh, A a point too, I did notice the the Prime Minister pointed to inflation expectations, a very uh, narrow wedge of the inflation story. I mean, if, if you, it's great to think that people are thinking inflation is going to come down, but I just point to the latest um, food price inflation figures, 15.7% year on year increases. So, I mean, prices are still going up. I did think that uh, when we got onto economic territory, I thought that uh, Rishi Sunak seemed to be on quite firm ground. He had a bit of a spring in his step, actually, I thought this time. We've watched PMQs several times in recent weeks, and I thought Starmer had got the better of Sunak. But today, uh, not so much. I, th- I thought the Prime Minister looked pretty chirpy, and particularly talking about the economics, he, he seemed on, on pretty solid ground. Because the point is that inflation halving by the end of the year is his top priority, and the forecasts are that it will fall this year. So that is it's a difficult one to level at him, even if it's difficult even if inflation is looking difficult now. I do also would just point out that uh, using the analogy of uh, the £9,000 annual bill to heat Rishi Sunak's swimming pool once again returns to the uh, class war that that Starmer's trying to wage against Rishi Sunak. Uh, it's the same every single week, isn't it? Mm. Well, the continuing themes, I suppose, is probably how uh, they would look at it. Well, let's turn to the event uh, tomorrow, which is, if we heard folks, Bring, brought into focus at the end of Prime Minister's questions there. Voters going to the poll in 230 council areas across England. Uh, more than 8,000 council seats up for grabs as well as mayoral elections in Bedford, Leicester, Mansfield and Middlesbrough. There will also be elections to councils in Northern Ireland, but that's in two weeks' time. The vote's going to be a key test of popularity for Labour and the Conservatives and the Lib Dems 
in England, uh, not in London and not in a couple of other places, but almost all of England will be voting tomorrow. Let's bring in our UK economy reporter, Lucy White. Now, Lucy, you've done a fantastic piece of uh, research uh, for the Bloomberg Terminal and on for the website. You looked at five contests, didn't you? T- tell us where they are and, and why they're significant. Yeah, so we've we've explored these five different areas. We've got Bolton, Stevenage, Great Yarmouth, Surrey Heath and Ashfield. Um, so these are all dotted around the country from the sort of con- uh, traditional red wall uh, seats that saw several um, areas swing to the Conservatives at the last general election. And it stretches down to the blue wall around the south um, and particularly around London, um, which are, you know, sort of traditional Tory strongholds. You know, we've got a few areas dotted around in between as well that are, you know, sort of typically seen as swing seats. So, for example, Great Yarmouth, um, it's home to a lot of Brexit backers. Um, It's had a Conservative MP since 2010. Um, and Labour will be wanting to win back some of this vote, you know, so, uh, prove that it can it can get Brexit backers back on side. And I wonder how good a guide local elections are to what's going to happen in the general election that we're expecting next year. Because obviously, Richard Sunak just mentioned potholes there. <laughs> there are lots of local issues to focus on. And as we've already mentioned, the Lib Dems do tend to do better in the local elections. So how can you transpose one onto the other? Exactly. There do have to be a lot of caveats um, that you put in. So uh, as you say, the Lib Dems, Lib Dems tend to do better. Um, a lot of people tend to vote more along the lines of particularly local issues like you know potholes or housing or, or whatever that, that might be. Um, you can draw some parallels. So the key measure that we'll be looking at is projected national vote share. So the BBC will have a team of political scientists working with them to to come up with this projected national vote share on the day. Um, and this tells us, it, or it can kind of be used as an analogy, essentially. So if everyone voted along the lines that they did in the local elections, what would that mean for the general election, which is likely to be next year? And uh, we've had um, several political experts tell us that Labour will be wanting to get a 10-point lead in that projected national vote share if they're to have a hope of winning next year. Uh, it's interesting, of course, to remember that the last local elections were in 2019. Theresa May was Prime Minister, a very you know, tumultuous time in terms of uh, Brexit as well. So, mm. you know, a very different time uh, when we're making that comparison to the votes that were cast in the last general election or the last local elections as well. Um, when I, I want to compare the work that you've done in this piece to the our levelling up scorecard, which Bloomberg calculates how, you know, the economy has been improving in these areas as well how do they how does it match up and then the examples you've been looking at I mean are these areas that have been uh, benefiting from the the increased investment that increased investment isn't exactly coming through um, yet I mean for example uh, take Ashfield um, the leveling up score is is going down um, but you know they have recently won a significant amount of money um, from the towns and high streets, future high streets funds. So you know it might take a bit more time for the Conservatives to be able to prove any real wins from from those amounts of investment that are you know kind of being put into play now. Um, whether that comes soon enough for well certainly these local elections and perhaps even next year's general election uh, still remains to be seen. Lucy, talk to us about what the parties we're hoping to get out of these results on on Friday, because it's as a complicated picture as we, as we refer to. Twenty nineteen was a bad election for uh, Labour and the Conservatives, the local elections, and then twenty nineteen general election, only a few months later, of course, was a fantastic result for the Tories 
and uh, and bad for Labour. What what will the parties be looking to get on Friday? Well, I think both sides need to prove that they have, both major parties need to prove that they've put the events of the last couple of years behind them. You know, um, at the last uh, local and general election, we had uh, Jeremy Corbyn in, in uh, yeah, heading up the Labour Party. He was being rocked by, you know, sort of accusations of anti-Semitism. Um, and then, as you said, we had Theresa May as well, who was... Uh, getting in a real twist about around um, the Brexit negotiations. And both parties are going to want to prove that they now, especially for Rishi Sunak after the Liz Truss uh, leadership, both parties are going to want to prove that they're on a really strong and stable footing, uh, for want of a better phrase. Um, you know, we've got uh, Keir Starmer now trying to prove that he is leading an entirely different party to the vision that Jeremy Corbyn was pursuing. And we've got Rishi Sunak um, essentially saying that you can trust the Conservatives with the economy. And if Sunak, sorry, if Starmer does get a double digit lead, as you say he wants, where does that leave Rishi Sunak? And on the flip side, if he doesn't get it, can Sunak kind of claim to have a mandate, which he's never really had because he wasn't voted in? Yeah, I think um, anything that you know anything below that 10 point lead for um labor will be seen as as essentially a win for the conservatives you know um they are likely to be losing seats at these local elections but any you know kind of any any gap that doesn't leave labor with too big a a, a sort of um a lead for, mm. uh, ahead of next year is is likely to be seen as a win for the conservatives even if it does involve them losing a lot of local council seats Briefly, what about the Lib Dems and all of this? There are areas where the Lib Dems could really be looking for gains. So, for example, Surrey Heath, which is one of the areas that we were looking at. Um, Michael Gove's been the MP there since 2005. Um, but the council has actually recently, due to a by-election last year, um, has lost Conservative control. Um, and so the Lib Dems are gaining ground in areas like that. Um, you know, sort of... Um, constituents in perhaps wealthier areas uh, perhaps a bit fed up of the mm. uh, of the brexit argument the brexit wranglings and they're more concerned about you know cost of living pressures and you know in areas like surrey heath where you've got a relatively wealthy relatively liberally minded electorate the lib dems could really be looking to to make gains you know similar areas around there okay. also include mm. dominic Raab's constituency jeremy hunt's constituency so there are some really um interesting okay. heavy hitting figures involved lots to watch out for lucy white our uk economy reporter thank you so much for joining us with that and that is a great read ahead of those elections tomorrow as well that's it from us for today if you like the program don't forget to subscribe or give it five stars so other people can find it on apple podcast spotify or wherever you listen this episode was produced by james wilcock and our audio engineer was marufal hussein i'm lizzie burden and i'm ewan potts and i'm stephen carroll we'll be back with more tomorrow this is bloomberg Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.